1: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health
0: insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by
2: Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never
3: go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.
4: And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
2: Yes. Good luck.
3: So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: It's the Irish Times second captain's podcast. Hello there everybody and we are in uncharted territory this weekend as Mayo go into their All-Ireland semi-final against Kerry. Red hot favourites. Confidence in the county is at an all-time high. In fact, it's hard to find a Mayo person, judging by the accounts we're hearing, who doesn't think they're going to stroll into the final.
5: Do you want to hear a conversation I had with a Mayo person yesterday? I just want to finish my little intro with a first. Oh, okay, fair enough. All that stands in their way
0: (laughs) is the most successful county ever. Who always beats them when it matters? Yeah. Now your anecdote, please, Gert.
5: Uh Talked to a Mayo man yesterday. I said, uh, uh, "What are you doing Sunday evening?" He said, uh, "I've got a couple of friends coming up to Dublin. If uh, if we lose, we're going to go for a few pints. But if 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 we're not, we're just going to go home. We'll just we'll just meet up for the final. <laughs> it's no big deal. Already planning the final meetup. An assault on the capital city for the Ireland final. I mean, it's only Kerry. I mean." They haven't even won 40 All-Irelands. They haven't even got to 40 all yet. I mean, the thing's been running for, what, 128, 129 years? I mean, what have they been doing? They've been sitting on their hands all these years.
0: It is one of the saddest things, now that you mentioned it, about Mayo losing All-Ireland finals. I've got relatives in Mayo and they come up every time they're playing a final. And I'll generally get a text saying, we'll meet up for a drink afterwards if we win. Yeah. But if we, you know, if we lose, it'll we'll probably hit the road. I can't even bring myself to to, to text them after. You just know it's they're gone. They're halfway home by the time. You know what? <laughs> Meet
5: really them good. on the Saturday night. Yeah. You know? you don't want. You, let, let's just take out any element of risk. Meet them on the Saturday night, then you can wake up with a hangover on the Sunday as opposed to the Monday morning. We're going to That's be talking
0: to O'Shea McConville and Carl Mannion shortly about that semi-final. I mean, I'm looking forward to it. We're talking to US Murph today about the biggest star in American sports right now, this week Anyway, A 13-year-old girl named Monet Davis. She's playing in the Little League Baseball World Series, which is an event featuring kids aged between 11 and 13. It's a screened live by ESPN. It's watched by millions around the country. And she's been the star this year. She's on the front cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I don't know. This this, this all makes me a, a little bit uncomfortable. I listened to, we mentioned Slate's, Hang Up and Listen podcast, which is a good sports podcast if you want to have a listen to it at some stage. Now, they did a piece on it this week and they talked to the author of a bunch of books on the subject of kids sport and maybe the exploitative nature of it at times um, and maybe how serious it's gotten in recent years. This is a problem that maybe we can have to deal with sometimes over here as well. But even the sponsors, they mentioned Gatorade, Frosted Flakes, one of the sponsors—they've got kids voicing voiceovers for this event sponsored by Frosted Flakes, which don't sound like the best thing ever. In this, the world uh,
5: this reminds me of the uh, Mattel and Mars Bear Quick Energy Choco bot Hour on Krusty uh, <laughs> the Clouds show. I mean, it does—it does sound a little ridiculous. Yeah. But I mean, there's there's not a lot about this story that isn't ridiculous, really, Ken. Um, you know, it's twelve-year-old sports people being thrust into the glare, and I mean, this is. A serious glare. We're talking about huge, huge numbers on television. Wayne
3: Rooney was 16 when he scored against Arsenal. It's, four, then, it's four years it's older, older than 12. Different. Well, well it's four st- years older than 12. Still not allowed to vote. Or mm-hmm. drink, drink. Or drive. Or join the army. Well, you can drive in, in the United States, I think, when you're 16. Well, Wayne Rooney isn't from the US, is he? No, he's not. He's from Liverpool. Still a, still a child. Still a minor. Yeah. So what's the difference?
0: I'm going to ask Brian about this because I don't know if he... I, as far as I know, he quite enjoys a little league World Series, and he might be quite positive on the the whole experience. Certainly, the kids seem to generally have a pretty good time, unless they lose. I mean, this is the issue that they, they mentioned this in this Slate podcast. One of the one of the pitchers was struggling on the mound. Now, ESPN consciously tried not to show the players bawling their eyes out, crying afterwards, because they feel that might be a little bit mm. unfair in them. But they can't do much about it when a kid is breaking down. On the mound and still pitching as he's pitching this losing game. I don't know if that should be shown on national TV, yeah. this
5: poor 11,
0: 12-year-old guy.
5: There, there is a level of certainty about this. All except one team will lose at some stage. So you're talking about, 50 of the 16 teams that are in this tournament, 15 of them will be seen bawling their eyes out crying because they've lost a baseball game.
3: We, well, the same thing happens in the World Cup. Uh, to adults. Yeah. To adults, yeah.
0: So... You don't think there's a difference between how you treat adults and how you treat children in terms of their emotions being shown on worldwide or national TV?
3: I, I'm really struggling to see what the big deal is about a kid crying. I mean, they cry all the time.
0: Yeah. You don't show a kid emotional turmoil on TV all the time for millions of people. To well, maybe
3: you do if they're in a televised sporting event. They have the option, I suppose, of not playing in it. Of course, it. they have the option. But I, mean, I mean, if you if this you the point get, they're too young to
0: to make necessarily
3: particularly good conscious. I suppose about those it's up, I
0: suppose it's up to their parents. Exactly. The parents this, is, this is the problem. Are the parents uh, part of the problem here? The parents pushing these kids into these tournaments that maybe in later years they'll they'll live to regret. <sighs> Even the guy, the author, I, I think I think the author I, I, I mean, talked you about, talking there,
3: about If if you if I was if I had a kid in little league and I was to say no, you can't play in the. ESPN televised Little League tournament. Oh, that, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you can't. I think I'd be seeing a lot more tears, a lot more tears, and maybe in future years the therapists will be hearing a lot about it. <laughs> we'll be hearing all about how his dad had stood in his way. His it's big for your chance. own good, son. You know what I mean. Either way, there's going to be tears. You know, let let him out there and let the the salt water flow. The author of those books, who I mentioned,
0: he said himself that his own son. Was pushed, he pushed his own son too hard, and his own son, I think, as a teenager, certainly at some stage, had to have this Tommy John surgery. They talk about mm. this a lot in Latin American sports,
5: I think it's to it's like tennis elbow, yeah, it's torn like torn
0: rotator cuffs or something along these yeah. lines, which isn't great for kids. anyway. We'll talk to Brian Murphy about that a little bit later on. I think about himself in Canfield,
5: yeah.
3: I mean, it's People slightly different. Are always gonna beat themselves up. I pushed my kid too hard, oh, I didn't push him hard enough. My dad pushed me too hard, oh, my dad didn't push me. You know, in mean, one way or the other, you're both gonna end up thinking you cocked everything up. <laughs> you know <laughs> Might as well get on, of it just get on Just get on with it And, you know, and, and let's all mind our own business
0: We've loads of big Football stories today And a lot of them Will be covered in detail Ken, In the football podcast Out a little bit later But just a word on Balotelli to Liverpool Maybe now to whet the appetite
3: Yes um, Well this isn't 100% Confirmed yet on But it does look As though Mario Balotelli Is going to be Joining Liverpool um, He's been quoted By Sky Talley Saying today's my Last day at Milan um, The word is that A £16 million pound deal is gonna be signed. It's quite interesting because less than three weeks ago, Brendan Rodgers, who was in the United States at the time on Liverpool's pre-season tour, said, I can categorically tell you that Maribellatelli will not be at Liverpool. Um so obviously something's changed.
5: He well he what he said was yeah, he said that and then he said, well, Oh, you know, I, I came out here and I praised him last night. That, and then you happened, guys what? and then you guys write that, you know, I'm interested in Mario Bellatelli. Mm. You know, I mean, what's, what's that all about? Yeah, it shouldn't
3: you know? be transmitted into, I think it was the verb he used into, you know, Liverpool going to sign Balotelli. Yeah. Liverpool were playing Milan and Rogers in, you know, as is his want, talked about how what an exceptional player Balotelli uh, was. Um, and then it was, oh, Liverpool are interested in Balotelli. But is there a chance that this, he could actually be telling the truth here
5: that no one thought of Balotelli to Liverpool until... Mario Balotelli read those comments. and said, "You know that Brendan Rogers?
3: Oh no! I mean, I, if, if I heard I, I'm someone saying suggesting...
5: that I was one of the five top broadcasters in the world, yeah, I'd 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 be inclined to listen to that. You'd now. hear them out, and I would say, that guy, he knows what he's talking about. I, I mean, no, I'm maybe, I, maybe I'm not in the top five. That's not for me to say. I think
3: Rogers was telling the truth." at the time I mean I don't I don't see any reason why he'd lie in such a way I don't see any reason why he would say knowing it to be not true I can mm. categorically tell you that he will not be at Liverpool yeah. I don't see I assume that he believed that at the time Yeah. Um. whether or not because we know that Liverpool sign players according to a committee it's not just Brendan Rodgers it may not even mainly be Brendan Rodgers uh, I mean if you look at the this storyline, he seemed quite convinced quite recently that this wasn't going to happen, and now it does appear to be happening. Um, but maybe someone else in that committee was thinking of at the time I'm sure they, they had, you know, the idea had crossed their mind. But then there was various other things. You know, that they were trying for Remy. I can't quite make it. Remy's deal collapsed around that time, didn't it? He actually went to America and then came back, and now he's he's a QPR. Um, so maybe then they moved on to a couple of other uh, targets. I mean, one way or the other, it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting signing. Um, a good signing, if it happens. I wouldn't go so far as to say a good signing, but definitely an interesting <laughs> signing. I mean, Mario Bellatelli is a is a talented player who doesn't care about the game. Um, everybody knows this. Uh, it's you know he 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 sometimes plays well, he sometimes plays really badly. Uh, it's it's a maddening trait to have for teammates and usually for the managers that he's had. Um, he's fallen out with nearly all of them, even if. You know, guys like Cesare Prandelli and, and Roberto Mancini clearly felt a lot of personal warmth towards Balotelli. He disappointed them repeatedly in big games. I mean, I, I remember being at a game, Arsenal against Man City, when they lost when Balotelli was sent off. That was when Mancini was saying, I'm finished, I'm finished with him. You know, I'm finished. That's the end of him. And and in the you know, shortly after that, Balotelli was playing the pass to Aguero to win the league for Manchester City. You know, so so Mancini kept forgiving him. Then he, then he had a, a, a training ground brawl with him. <laughs> I, I But I was at the game most recently in Italy. I saw a couple of his games in the World Cup. I mean, he scored against England, uh, played reasonably well in that game, against Uruguay. He was pathetic, mm. absolutely pathetic. He was was substitute at halftime. You know, and I think afterwards, Pandelli said something like, well, you know, the guy's a... What can you do with, with Balotelli? And... You know, so so it's a. There it was a, a
0: sense that even his teammates were a bit fed up with yeah, him at that point. Were. And Andrea
3: Perlo in his book, speaks very
0: warmly of Balotelli and says he's got a huge amount of respect for how he's handled himself through the racial abuse he's got. And He always likes to give a smile to Balotelli every time he sees him. He's really warm about him, but I don't know how how he felt about him after that match.
3: No, I mean he he's a, he's quite funny. I mean you can see he does he he posts quite a lot of funny stuff on his various social media. If I score the winning goal against Costa Rica, I will expect a kiss from the English queen, said Valdelli. <laughs> uh, and, of course, didn't score against Costa Rica. In fact, missed a sitter in, uh, and Italy lost that game. So, you know, <laughs> it's difficult to, It's difficult to know. I mean, the, I, there's, there's, there are very few players who, who have such a wide range of how they might play in any particular day. I mean, brilliant performances, like when you destroyed Germany in the semifinal of Euro 2012, down to utterly inept performances that... Are shameful for a professional footballer, and you know that could happen any any given Saturday on. Oshie McConville and Carl Mannion have called into studio, lads. Thanks for coming into us.
1: Hey I'm sure you're
0: looking forward to Sundays. Is it a strange situation, Carl, that we're we're looking at an experienced Mayo team having to sow the seeds of doubt in the minds of young Kerry players? Normally, when we're approaching this fixture, we're thinking how do how do Kerry assert their Superiority in those yeah, it's, ways. it's
1: a complete role reversal for the Mayo team, certainly from the the Mayo teams that played Kerry in the last decade. And uh, I see it was mentioned a few times in the media area in the week. I think George James Horan commented on it as well, and I, you'd have to agree with him. I can't see any uh, any baggage with this Mayo team with for them Kerry defeats. I know there was maybe two or three players that were involved back then. But uh, the confidence this Mayo team has developed over the last couple of years, the confidence the players have individually, the way they've performed and got to all Ireland finals, I don't. And they haven't really played uh, this big Kerry, new Kerry team uh, in championship uh, championship fixtures, so no, I don't see it being any any bit of an issue for them. I don't think
0: Kerry. I'm sure Eamon Fitzmaurice isn't approaching this hoping that for some reason there's something in the Mayo psyche or sheen that will prevent them from performing, is he?
2: No, I'd say he knows that the real deal. I think you know under the James Horn, uh, what they've done is they've become become very strong mentally, and uh, you know Kerry will find that out at the weekend. Kerry coming into the game off the back of uh, beating Cork and Galway, probably two flaky enough teams if we're going to be honest about it. And I think uh, as a result of that, you know, I think M- Mayo, uh, you know, can come into it with a hell of a lot of confidence. I think they've improved as the year went on. I think. Contrary to what has happened in the, in the previous couple of years, and they seem to have peaked a little bit early. I just think I don't know whether it's deliberate or not, but they seem to be taming their own perfectly. You know, when it comes to uh, All Ireland semi-final. Yeah, sure about that.
0: This, is, is this the kind of thing that they lose yeah. on Sunday, then it turns out well, actually they just weren't. Yeah, ready
5: for it. I'm. I'm not entirely sure. You know, i I have
2: my concerns that we might have seen the best of this Mayo team. Well, your your predictions have been absolutely spot on. but yeah, so just answer the question. <laughs> just answer the question. There's a possibility that that could be the case. There definitely is, but I just think that uh, they'll find out more about themselves. I think the next. I think on Sunday we're going to see Freeman Doherty. Uh, Killian O'Connor, Aidan O'Shea and McLaughlin all in one forward line and Allendale I don't think uh he's going to play Andy in this weekend and that's a big call for him and it's a call that probably has been coming down the line I actually think Andy Moore can do a real good job for him coming off the bench but I think that's the best forward line and uh, slowly but surely they're getting a better balance into the team uh, game on game um, and I think time for some of the obviously it's still time for some of the uh, the lesser Mayo, Mayo lights to, to step up to the mark but um, I think they've time the run uh, very nicely
1: Yeah I don't think they've looked as polished as they did in the last couple of years this year certainly and they're not really, uh, putting teams away like they have done but I suppose if you look at the Mayo team in the last uh, in the 2000s they lost those carry teams they were playing well leading up to those finals when it came to the final and their their game plan and how well they were playing was taken away from them they had nothing to fall back on they know. Uh, they had no kind of confidence built up grit and determination that when they are in a tight spot they can get over it this year Mayo have won games that way they didn't do that the last couple of years because they didn't have to against Roscommon and against Cork the last day uh, they've won games by grit, determination desire they just say we're going to win this game no matter what and they haven't had to do that the last couple of years before the two finals they lost in
0: Your recent hobby horse Sushin is goalkeepers and their importance to the game you wrote an interesting piece last week on uh, in your GA.ie column now you I was interesting because Dermot Murphy, the former carry keeper, was talking today in the Irish Times, Dean or and he says that the kickouts are vitally important, but the number one job is still to keep the ball out of the goal. You actually placed shot stopping at number three on your list, behind uh, what did you have there? Number two, um, presence, I think, was number two, and number one was kick out strategies. So just in the context of the game at the weekend, what do you think is going to happen in that area?
2: I think because of the way uh, teams have set up defensively, I think that's why you know shot stopping and and um, and that has has for me has gone down the pecking lately. Uh In particular, I'll be thinking about, about Donegal, but also about Kerry because, you know, when you watch Kerry against uh, Galway, like they were as defensive as, as probably any team has played this year. But their transition is very, very good. It, at least it was very, very good for 45 or 15 minutes until they slightly started running out of steam. Until Declan O'Sullivan, you know, really had no legs for the last 20 minutes. He's taken off at about 15 minutes to go, which is probably you know a little bit of a risk you know for 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 Fitzmaurice you know because he's pretty assured and he's pretty comfortable on the ball but he wanted legs in there and when he got legs in there they were able to finish off the game then um i just think you know it's so important that whoever is going to win the um whoever is going to win the All Ireland has to win a, a, a serious amount of primary possession especially when they come up against the benchmark which at this stage is the Dubs and you look at uh, the primary possession that they're able to win from their own kickouts but also I think I might have mentioned this before is the new string they have to the bow you know is that the fact that they now are able to push up in kickouts and are relentless in the way they push up in kickouts and they're relentless in the, in the amount of pressure they put on on the opposition like they did on one hand they won 8, eight kickouts in a row effectively uh, won the game in the matter of 6-7 minutes just purely for the pressure that they put on on the opposition kickouts so I think that's where it becomes so important. I think at the weekend Kerry's going to have to come up with something because they won't be able to win uh, enough ball in the middle of the field uh, because they struggled badly against Galway at times to win to win ball in the middle of the field. They're coming up against, you know, a serious opposition like Mayo played those three boys across the middle of the field and they hunt breaks, you know, as well as anybody I've seen in the last couple of years. So as a result of that, I think that's why um, keepers have become so important in the game and, and that's why the kickout strategy for me is number one. Carl, what do you think? Yeah, so what's interesting about Sunday
1: is this is like uh, Brian Kelly's first uh, big challenge from a goalkeeping point of view for those kickouts. Uh, he's played against a Cork and a Goa team uh, so far this year where the pressure really wasn't on the Kerry kickout as much as it's going to be on Sunday, I think. Uh, Mayo have shown in the last couple of years especially in the play against Dublin that they have been able to disrupt the Dublin kickouts on occasion or they didn't in the final last year but they have done in league matches and in other championship games uh, and Mayo are very very good at that and that's going to be a new challenge for him on Sunday because he hasn't faced that before and yeah. where he can kind of find those gaps when uh, there's going to be very few out there So if you are say you're coaching Kerry
0: against Mayo's kickouts and you think Rob Henley's good in that area what do you do to counteract it? Do you go do you drop do you just leave them leave the big guys to take the ball and swarm around them? Do you actually contest it in the air? Do you push your half-backs up and try and close the space in the, in, essentially in the back line for Mayo? How do you do it?
2: For Mayo kickers? Yeah, for Mayo's kickouts. For Mayo's yeah. kickers, they've got to contest the ball initially, but they've got to get a lot of bodies in, their, in the round. They've got to get get their half-forwards in round, in round the ball. Buckley's actually decent, you know, at, at, at mopping up a little bit of break ball, but I just think that Mayo are more tried and tested or something at it, and... Uh, Kerry aren't really used to having to scrap for it. I think Maher come in the last day and and he look he's a he's a real player. He's a real ball player and he's a big big man. But he, I don't know if he wins enough possession in the middle of the field. Um, I think you know that's essentially where they're going to struggle. So they're going to need to get bodies in there, but they have to challenge for it. They have to try and get breaks. Yeah, you know,
1: when you talk about like the actual how they're matching up like man on man in the midfield sector as a whole, not just like the the four midfielders. I think Mayo's players have shown the last couple of years they're a lot more. Uh, They're a lot more aware of where they need to be on the brakes and they break to each other very well. Like McLaughlin, uh, Doherty this year, especially, uh, and Keegan have been very good on getting on those brakes. I think it's only Dunnaker Connor that shows that consistently, or Dunnaker Walsh, sorry, that shows that consistently for Kerry. So Kerry going to need someone else to get in there and throw throw their weight in and get on those brakes.
5: And I think that that it kind of boils down to a thing as well that the Mayo players actually enjoy the physicality, that physical element of it, a lot more than the Kerry players. Mm. And and, uh, they're totally at home in a situation where the ball breaks and there's a scrum of five or six players Mayo more often than not do actually come out of those, you know, against anyone, even the dubs, I think. You know, they, they actually really, really enjoy that. So I think that's a, that's a big element too. But I mean, like we were, I was sitting watching the Armagh goalkeeper, the Armagh-Dunny goal game, and you could say that Armagh lost that by dint of a goalkeeper that didn't actually, wasn't comfortable in the situations that we're talking about, yeah. picking out players you know, 30 yards away, 40 yards away. I mean, when the game, when the fat was in the fire that uh, that day, the ball just kept going out the middle and it was 50... I mean, that was the starkest uh, example, I think, that we've seen of the importance of the kick-out in, in modern football.
2: And also sometimes, and Carol will be able to tell you about it, or sometimes a little bit of development around the middle of the field, as in you stop the run, you stop the man on the run, and if Kerry can do that, you know, it's Kerry can... Sp- You know, unnerve the O'Shea's and Barry Moore, or Jason uh, Gibbons, whoever's gonna be in the middle of the field if they can stop their runs you know if they can get in there initially and, and halt their progress streetwise play. I play just, you just it, to
1: confirm what Ushin you say is I did experience that a couple of times across the <laughs> <end>. <laughs> so yeah I know That's what it's all about sense.
0: actually well, I should also um, state to that piece that I was talking about that you wrote last week you did refer to goalkeepers as clowns in the past yeah i were with oh, a, a few i cl- played definitely
2: played with a few clowns as of right <laughs> yeah. yeah well listen, <laughs> <laughs> Carl Carol
5: plays his club and his county football with Shane Curran so he's the exception. to <laughs> the pre- The The point that uh, Murph raised there just about how much
0: Kerry actually Mayo I should say enjoy the physicality is interesting because Eamon Fitzmaurice was speaking this week about the conditioning of the Mayo team and he says in terms of that they're probably the premier team in the country which is interesting. I know he did put Dublin up on that pedestal as well, but people might assume that Dublin would, would be considered that. But uh, Fitzmaurice, I don't think it was just the idea that he has to say nice things about Mayo. Yeah, he, he, he genuinely seems to believe Yeah, he me. did
1: say a lot of actually nice things when I was reading uh, reading his article there during the week. Uh, one thing that was interesting was the way he complimented them on what we just mentioned earlier about their greater determination, their mm. character they showed this year. And he mentioned specifically the Roscommon game. And I think he probably will hopefully pick up something from the Roscommon game about the way Roscommon took on Mayo in that midfield sector. I know it was a big emphasis as far as common lead into that game was taking on uh, Lee Keegan Donald Vaughan Kevin McLaughlin and then obviously the two midfielders uh, and really trying to get on top of them because that's where Mayo's all their drive uh, and their positioning games to be able to dominate teams come from I and mean, if you stop Mayo there and even break uh, 50-50 with them I think you're going to do a lot of damage against them like the last day in the court game like Mayo dominated midfield ended up with 35 shots in play Cork only had 19 shots from play. like Mayo are creating twice as many shots from play when they're on top in midfield. In the Roscommon game, Mayo uh, had 15 shots from play and Roscommon had 22. So Mayo need to be creating an awful lot more scoring chances from their midfield dominance uh, than Kerry because if they have the same amount of ball going into their far line as Kerry do, Kerry have the better forwards and will put up more scores. Daryl,
0: Shea said they can't score. Their inability to take take long-range points is the big issue for Mayo, that they would have an All-Ireland in the bag if they could actually kick the points, the sort of 45, 50-yard bombs that Kerry will be able to...
2: Yeah, I think that's probably fair, and I think you know when you look at the stats, uh, I think probably Dublin are actually something similar in the in the percentage of of uh, uh, chances they create to the to to what they score two um, to Mayo. and I think you know that's uh, that can be a real problem in one way, but if you're consistently getting the ball, you know as a forward, you know as a forward, the last day, you know, just go back to the say the Armagh match my forwards had the ball, I suppose, towards the end of the game so little that every time they got the ball, they felt as if they had to do something really special, you know. But you watch the uh, contrast the Dublin game, whereas Dublin had chance after chance after chance. If one chance is spawned, so what? We're getting the ball back straight away, and you know you get another opportunity. And me are a wee bit like that, and that's the way I see this weekend's game going. And that's why I place so much emphasis on what happens in that middle sector of the field. Kerry will get players back, but they'll only get players back if, if the momentum is stopped around the middle of the field. If May win the ball and get it in direct, then that doesn't give Kerry the opportunity to get players back in. Because one thing about Kerry, whenever they line up kick-outs-wise, they'll line up orthodox, they'll uh, play man for man, and they will back themselves to try and get that break. But if they don't win that initial ball they're probably not quick enough at getting back in they're not a team like like a Donegal who are going to sit back give you the kick out and invite you on you know they're they're a team who do do want to win because they're positive they do want to win that initial ball but 9 times out of 10 they're probably not at the weekend
1: Yeah I think that uh, Fitzmaurice has to since the Galway game really concentrated on that midfield sector and getting everyone uh, up to that aggression level that they need to be up to to, play on, to take on this Mayo midfield sector like they both have lined up against the Galway midfield this year And Mayo were clearly the better midfield sector against Galway in the two games that happened between Galway and Kerry and uh, uh, Mayo and Kerry. So yeah, he has to really target that. If they don't break parity there, I don't think they're going to get enough ball to are forwards to score.
5: And what about the Kerry forwards then? I mean, everyone's going to be looking at James O'Donoghue. What is he going to face? What are the Kerry forwards going to face against this Mayo defence that everyone is saying Cork and Galway weren't able to to Present them what challenges are they going well, to have? He's obviously
1: to them? going to have a, a lot tighter of a man marker and a better man marker in Keith Higgins. Uh, then it's all about whether they drop someone back from the half back line. That maybe will kind of be determined about where Declan O'Sullivan plays. If Declan O'Sullivan drops back into midfield and behind like he's done this year, then uh, Colin Boyle won't go after him, he'll sit in back in front of the full back line and would will probably have that cover. But I think uh, Horn has not played defensive systems too much in his time, like and I'm not sure it's going to be like you're getting a wing forward back sitting in front of James Dunhu as a as a kind of a tactical position he's going to take before the game I say it'll be as the game develops he'll say to his defenders if you know if your man is dropping back in behind midfield then you're the man that's going to have to just kind of keep an eye on O'Donohue and in is like Keith Higgins is a brilliant cornerback. like he can probably uh, get a lot of joy out of uh, O'Donohue and get a, and stop him getting a lot of those scores he's certainly not going to get a ball and break past Keith Higgins with pace like it's Keith Higgins is just too good a man marker and his feet are too good to allow that to happen
0: I would have thought James, I don't know who's too good a player to get bottled up entirely, Oshin you've been in this situation being yeah, marked, all
2: of that I, I don't think you're going to bottle him up I think what they do is they create space for him very very well as well the, we were in the Hogan stand for the for the Galway and Kerry game and what they kept doing was vacating the area in front of him and he didn't always run into it he he maybe switched with, with Paul Gini who was also very very good at winning that initial possession but the second ball in is is the key. It's not that initial uh, outlet ball. It's the second ball. So if Gini uh, wins that first ball, he's immediately looking in over his shoulder. So Gini's made the run out. He's pulled the defender. Usually, um, you know, uh, Declan O'Sullivan has pulled the man out. So there's that little bit more space in there. When they turn, he can kick it right or left. And O'Donoghue, for somebody who's... like It's impossible to mark somebody one-on-one one in there. If he's got all that space directly along the end line, all he's do is make a run left or make a run right. If he makes a run straight out uh, towards the ball, I mean, all the defender has to do, the likes of Keith Higgins, is just get a fist in. That's the momentum of the attack broke down, but he never makes those runs. They're very, very cute. He's obviously... He's probably grown up watching the Gooch making, making similar runs just over and back across the lane, and he's a very, very willing runner. And uh, between him and Geaney, I think they're a good they're a good partnership in there because Geaney make the hard yards, and and, and O'Donoghue will make the cute runs. He seems to have a good mindset about it as well. If you ever see O'Donoghue in interviews, he.
0: Oh, a very happy-go-lucky kind of guy, you know. I was unbelievably relaxed about it. Now that's all well and good when you're getting Keith Higgins essentially on your shirt all day. Maybe it's a different kettle of fish. But do you think he has the
2: right mindset? Genuinely You think it doesn't bother him? Yeah. I think. He, I think he loves. I think he just loves the challenge, and I think he knows that he's playing right at the top of his game. You know, Keith Higgins. You know, is this
5: not exactly what Keith Higgins wants to hear, <laughs> though? As well,
2: I'm sure it is. But the only thing I would say about Keith Higgins is. Jason O'Donoghue is so comfortable on both feet, it's scary. Uh like there's not too many players. There's, of course there's players, you know, who have two feet, and even the likes of the you know, has a has a decent right foot. But O'Donohue's left foot is as good as his right foot. He kicked and two points uh, towards
5: the end of the goal game, yeah. and they were they were both from the distance that we're talking about that Mayo can't that they have a difficulty kicking points from, and he kicked a point one with his left, one with his right. Like that's it's yeah. kind of supernatural, you know. It's yeah. an amazing level I of. I think most
1: people will, will kind of acknowledge that the Dunhu is going to do some damage on Sunday. He he will he will score some points and play, but it's the extent of the damage that he's doing. Like the the damage he's done this year to Cork and Goal, like it's been huge. Like it's won the game for them. And I don't know if I think Keith Higgins' job will be to curtail him enough that it gives uh, brings down Kerry's score that may all have enough chances to win it. And that's what he has to do. I think if he stops him scoring a goal and he scores two or three points in play, I think that'll be a good day out for Keith Higgins. Yeah, and I think the,
5: the, the balance as well that you're talking about there is why would Mayo want to drop a wing forward back in front of James O'Donoghue when you can limit when he when you put the trust in Keith Higgins to limit yeah. the damage and then let the wing forward be up the field to make a make a difference on on yeah, the Mayo t- side of the, the ball? The, the
1: tactic with like say playing against Colin Cooper over the years is just stop and getting the ball. And if Mayo are dominant midfield which they have been most of the year yeah. They're not going to be able to get the good ball into James O'Donoghue he's going to be living off limited supply, and in that stage that's where he cannot be. The point in.
2: is bringing a, a half hour back any at this stage. Somebody who hasn't played that role before, yeah. because because it has to be tried and tested. But to bring him back, back, a man back is just basically inviting carry on to you, and you, that's the last thing you want to do. Predictions Carl?
1: Uh I I do like the way Mayo have won games this year by grit and determination. I think it's going to be a tight game. It's going to come down to the last few, uh, come to the last ten or fifteen minutes. I just think what they've shown this year in the uh, the Roscommon game and in the Cork game when they had to win the game in the in the dying embers. Uh, and I don't think Kerry's midfield was good enough against the goal in midfield last year to think that they're they're going to be going in there, putting in a big display and breaking uh, breaking even with Mayo. So for me, it's Mayo by a couple of points. oshin Mayo peaking at the right time?
2: Yeah, a new challenge for for Mayo this weekend because they'll come up against you know a serious forward unit you know, and it'll be interesting to see how they deal with that going into the final. Um, <laughs> I just think, as I say, I think my opinion is that they have, they have built nicely and that there's still another couple of gears in this Mayo team, so... I think that's going to be the case on Sunday. I think they'll they'll edge out Gary. We're facing too sure, but I'm, I hereby place a ban on predictions. It's the same for
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. save him from himself. I would <laughs> say,
5: <laughs> yeah, I would say that uh, what remains of my dignity. But I mean, I, we all know there's done left, <laughs> so it's fine.
0: All right, listen, O'Sheen, Carl, brilliant. Thank you very very so much.
2: Thanks. A
1: flame a flame a hair, a hair flame hair, flame thrower of truth, Mr. Ken Early. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I
3: suddenly turn around and bite somebody. John Hayes, I'm talking about, I'm yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much
0: do give a Fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not.
4: Let me show you right now. For you, give it up. Ah!
0: And there is one more piece of football news in today, Murph, we should be covering here. Alan Mulholland has finished up as goal.
5: Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's an argument that you could say that Gola have progressed under the three years. And certainly from the point of view of how far they've gotten in the championship, that is that is what has happened. Um, I, I think that maybe there was, that there's a feeling in Gola that it kind of had ran its course anyway. And there's also perhaps a little bit of pride at right. We gave a manager uh, a term of office And he's managed to fill to see out that term of office And I think, see, in the last three months The league was really, really disheartening this year Really, really bad And I think the feeling in the county was You know, maybe as low as it's been in a long time In kind of April and May of this year To the point where Goal were going over to London to play in the County Championship uh, Far from sure that they were actually going to beat London that day So, from that point of view The last three months have been good Shane Walsh has come on and has proved to be one of the best young players in the country. Probably get an all-star nomination. Center forward. He's a guy. Hopefully, that we'll be able to, that we'll be able to pencil into our team into the goaler team for the next ten years. The midfield partnership is good and young, and there is a sense that there is a team there for the next guy to walk into. So in that respect, uh, it has stabilised the situation quite a bit. Um, at the same time. I don't think there's too many people saying he should definitely have been given uh, another couple of years. And there is there is a name waiting in the wings that I think Goal if Goal fans, for better or worse, are expecting to have the job in the next few months. And that's Kevin Welsh, who is one of our greatest ever players. Uh, he's managing Mihal uh who are playing very well in the club championship at the moment. Had a successful enough time with Sligo. It ended kind of bitterly enough. Um, and it seems like he's the man who's going to get the job. So there is a there is a succession plan in place i would think um but we'll see how that goes but yeah i mean the last 3 months have been much better than the previous 12 months for almalham. i really like
0: the way he conducted media interviews. um i would describe him as a normal person which is not how i describe how a lot of intercounty managers look and sound when they're doing it. they're constantly holding things yeah. back and speaking very, you know, uh, formally and, and and strictly but he seemed I think we interviewed him quite early on after he had gotten the job, and he was sort of, I don't know, I mightn't might be up to it. I might be up to it. I mean, it's a lot of commitment. Well, we'll see, you know. And I, maybe that's not what players want to hear, but in, the ter- in terms of doing interesting interviews, and yeah, even I mean, after, and even when things are going badly, in fairness, I found he was quite good. You know, this doesn't make a blind bit of difference to how his teams went, but it's just another element to him. I thought he came across quite well. In that.
5: Yeah, and there's an inner confidence in the same way that he played the game, was that whatever happened, he was going to. Have his head held high At the end of it anyway And I think that's a pretty Pretty nice way to go About your business
0: Coming up in the Irish Times Second Captain's Football podcast
4: That's Yeah They have asked for that Really
3: Yeah you can laugh you to walk up?
4: I'm a little bit of an idealist But having said that I want to be like me
2: you don't
3: know
4: what you're talking about. What
3: did you know i like you to
4: stay alive for All six months. Right, I'd say it to but face, not say it to you well, now. I'm down to and we'll see
2: them, we? What you doing down here, you show me, man.
3: <laughs> well, we got Richie Satter coming into the studio to talk about the um, subject of confidence in the game for goal scorer and how it seems to be an elusive yet very important quality, uh, where it goes and how you can get it back. Those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Does it sound good to you? That like sounds it? pretty,
0: very good to, to us guys. We're going to hang that around Shane Long's miss against Southampton last week.
3: Yeah, and we'll talk about a very different player from Shane Long um, who has a, quite a different mentality and approach to the game. Is Mario Ballard. So it's
0: about strikers. We're doing a show about strikers. I like the sound of that. Mm. Sounds pretty good to pretty me. they the, yeah. Mark are, the marquee forwards of Association Football There,
5: They are, you know, do Liverpool have a real marquee <laughs> forward in the absence of Luis Suarez? Maybe they've answered that question today. Let's do this now.
4: Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses.
2: I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior.
4: You're being extremely truculent. Whatever
2: truculent means, if that's good, I'm there.
4: Strike three called, and the Giants.
0: Brian Murphy, we appreciate you taking the call. I I understand you're on holidays this week.
4: You know how it is for you boys. I will uh, I'll take the call anytime, anywhere, <laughs> unless I'm like you know totally chillaxing on some five star yacht. But no, I'm free. <laughs> I'm uh, up here at uh, Lake Tahoe, the beautiful lake that borders California and Nevada. And I would recommend to any uh, any Irish tourist coming to America. Lake Tahoe's got to be a must. It is one of the most beautiful uh, sights you'd ever want to see. So, nice and relaxed, boys.
0: Good to hear, Brian. And you sometimes, I was about to use the word complain. I mean, that wouldn't be quite right. But you sometimes chide us maybe for not covering baseball with you often enough. So, we're (laughs) going to talk baseball today, Brian, as practiced by 12-year-olds. The Little League World Series is on, and it's incredible.
4: How about that? I finally got you guys. uh, I got you guys to talk baseball. 12-year-old baseball, (laughs) amazingly enough. But... uh, Well, you guys are right to do it because, I mean, not only is the Little League World Series always a popular event in America in the summertime, this year, I think, maybe more than ever, I think in my entire life, I think this year's Little League World Series is gaining not just national, but you guys are proving international acclaim for a number of reasons. The number one reason would be primarily the star pitcher from Philadelphia, this young girl named Monet Davis, who is an African-American female who happens to be one of the best baseball players in the entire country, if not the world, and we're going to find out if this weekend she can bring her Philadelphia-area Little League team a Little League World Series. And guys, we always talk about Uh, the the mockery of um, calling it the World Series when it's only two American teams playing. Well, finally, this truly is a World Series. There's teams from South America. There's teams from Asia. There's teams from Europe. There's teams from Africa. There's teams from America. So she's going to try to win the World Series. She's a stunning athlete. She's on the cover of Sports Illustrated this week, a 13-year-old girl. She's actually a little older than 12 a 13-year-old girl pitcher who uh, has captured the nation's attention even Michelle Obama and others have commented on her and and all the big league baseball players like Mike Trout and Clayton Kershaw have sent her tweets so it is quite a story boys that's
0: quite a lot for a 13-year-old girl to take on Brian and I uh, uh, we've spoken about this a little bit before and I might be a bit footy duddie or something about this I don't know but I mean this this seems a little bit cra- there were there were kids apparently and I don't know if, if this girl is one of them but there were kids um endorsing Gatorade and sugary cereal on ads during this thing. I mean, its is there something a little bit disturbing about all this?
4: Point taken. Point taken for sure. There's definitely every year a, a little bit of chin rubbing going on as to Really? What's going on here? Uh, is, this, is this good for society? Is this good for kids? I don't think kids, though, are, uh, unless you scoop me on this, I don't think they're actually doing paid endorsements to these things. I think the biggest knock on the Little League World Series is that ESPN slash ABC, the big television network here, is making big money off of this, and the kids and or the Little Leagues are seeing none of it. And I think there is a true argument to be made that I think some money should go back to the Little Leagues and maybe to the communities that uh, play in this World Series, because right now it's a moneymaker for ESPN and ABC, and none of the other none of the other communities or teams are seeing that. So I think that's definitely something we should strive for in future Little League World Series. I agree with people who think, Sort of like the college um, argument that's been such a huge story in 2014 in America is that the billion-dollar college football industry has given no money to the players themselves, but that's actually changing right before our eyes. A couple of landmark lawsuits this summer that are going to try to get some of the money back to the college kids as opposed to just scholarships alone. So yeah, the Little League World Series should probably distribute their money a little bit more fairly. But I think really, honestly, I think the kids that play in it love it. And I think that that, that uh, over the years and the decades have shown there is not a negative impact on the kids. There's not, a, not a, uh, a pressure that crushes them and sends them into some sort of life, some sort of spiral downward in their life. I think most of the kids who play in it they love it. They treasure it. They look back on it fondly for all their lives. So I think the net positive uh, sort of outweighs outweighs the the cynical negative here, guys.
5: Yeah, this and this isn't just kind of a sort of a pleasing diversion for a portion of the American population. This is a for real huge sporting event that that thousands and hundreds and thousands of people actually have a huge interest in. I read somewhere that. The audience, the TV audience for the Chicago area team, their Little League team, was higher uh, last week than the average for either the White Sox or
0: the Cubs <laughs> in the 2014 <laughs> season. That's, That's why we're talking about the Little League, more not mean, Major League Baseball. Yeah,
5: I mean, I mean, I mean what we're saying here, Brian, is if Major League Baseball got their act together, then maybe we'd co- talk about it a bit more. But I mean, 32,000 people at the game that Monet Davis uh, played in on Sunday night. This is a huge, huge thing.
4: Well, it is. You're right. And again, as I said at the start, this one's bigger than most. This one is bigger than most. In the past years, we haven't had Monet Davis. In the past years, we haven't had the Chicago area team. And that team in particular is another reason why this one is so popular, because it is an all-African-American team. And one of the big stories in American sports in the last 20, 30 years has been the migration of the African American player away from baseball. When I was younger and my parents were younger, so many black athletes were superstars in baseball. All I have to say are the names Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, and everybody knows who I'm talking about, two of the greatest players who ever lived. Even Barry Bonds through my era, they were black American athletes who played baseball. And nowadays, the numbers are historically low. It's down to, I think, seven or eight percent of of major league baseball players in America are African American whereas when i was younger it was like 27 28% so there's been a huge movement away from baseball there's a number of reasons for that that are way too many to get into on this subject. So the Chicago team happens to be an all-black team, and that has raised the hopes of people who want baseball to be more diverse, to bring back the African-American athlete uh, to the game. So that, that has captured a lot of people's eyes, too. That's why Chicago has fallen in love with that team. They come from an, uh, a, a grittier, less economically privileged neighborhood. Baseball's become a real money sport where you have to travel all summer long with these teams that make you pay exorbitant fees to, to travel with them, and, and you just can't do it if you don't have money. So it's turned into a, the sport of rich white suburbs in America. Uh, and so to see a team from Chicago that's all black make it this far is has, has not just captured uh, Chicago's heart, but sort of captured the country's too. So many rooting interest guys going in. So, yeah, this wild. You know, I mean, why do we pay attention to it? I think because so many Americans do play Little League Baseball and it brings you back to your youth. Heck, I have a six-year-old son. He's saying to me, Daddy, I want to play in the Little League World Series. So, I mean, we all thought, I was an all-star once and we had our dream of making it to Williamsport. Boys, we lost our very first game. Out. No Williamsport for us. Oh, no. uh, (laughs) It's all part of the, uh, it's all part of sort of the, uh, you know, the, what am I saying, sort of the American sports fantasy when you're a kid growing up here.
0: Well, is there any chance you can live out that fantasy as an adult, Brian? Because I I understand that you coach a little, little league team yourself.
4: Oh, my goodness. Come on, guys. Is there anything more sad than the suburban dad <laughs> trying to live through the kids going, come on, make the play. What are you doing out there? Screaming at the kids, you'll be running laps after practice. You've got to make that play. No, no, no. Coach Brian is uh Generally, a positive coach uh, out there as they want nowadays. Boys, you know those days of the old Bobby Knights and the uh, the mean coaches, the Bear Bryants, Those days are gone. Now you have to be super positive and encouraging to the kids, lest you get a, a lawsuit filed against you by uh, angry parents. Uh, that's the way. I don't know if it's going that way in Ireland, but in America. We have certainly turned soft. There's no more disciplining the kids. you got to just encourage the kids. But, no, I love coaching baseball. I love doing it. Uh, I love passing on my love of the game of the kids. I've done it for eight years now, guys. So maybe one day, maybe one day you'll see me in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. You know, I, I would say this. It's a little sappy. It's a little modern. But you guys should look up the speech that the Rhode Island coach gives to his kids after they get eliminated Uh, They got eliminated, I think, Monday night, uh, and they got lost to the Chicago team, as a matter of fact. And, you know, all the coaches are mic'd up by ABC and ESPN, so they know they're on TV. So some of them ham it up a little bit more than the others. But this guy has his kids, and they're crying, and this is when people criticize the TV. They say, why do you show these kids crying on TV? They're 12 years old. That's very exploitative. But he gathers his kids up on the grass and gives them a really, really nice two-minute speech talking about how proud they've made the city, how proud they've made the team, how proud they've made their parents. And it's become viral now in the country. People are sending this video around saying, now this guy's a good coach. He does it the right way. So you guys might want to give that a listen and get inspired to go out there and throw on your ball caps and go coach the Irish team to the Little League World Series.
0: Oh, Brian, you'll be proud of us. We've done our homework. Uh, Let's have a listen to the end of that speech. I
4: love you guys. I'm going to love you forever. You've given me the most precious moment, okay, of my athletic and coaching career and I've been coaching a long time, okay? A long time. I'm getting to be an old man. I need memories like this. I need kids like this, okay? You're all my boys, okay?
1: You'll be the boys of summer,
4: okay? So for the last time, we're going to try to suck it up and we're going to yell Americans, okay? One, two, three. Americans! Go, boys. Good
1: job. Yeah,
0: the team is called Cumberland Americans, Brian. And I, I know I do have my misgivings about the amount of exposure uh, given to the kids. And as you say, even these mic'd up speeches, when they, they, maybe it should be a little bit more private. But I, even that one melted my heart, I have to say. I really like
4: it. <laughs> we finally cracked the code. We finally got McDevitt. We finally got McDevitt. You guys are going to make a road trip over here. Go, come over to Williamsport one. One day and uh, broadcast live in the Little League World Series. Hey, Ireland can make it. European teams make it. So I just say, dream on, boys. Uh, start hitting ground balls. Start uh, you know, start mm. playing. Start teaching them the infly, infield fly rule. And next thing you know, you guys will be over here at Williamsport, <laughs> Pennsylvania.
5: Listen, it's it's all well and good, but I mean, you say you say you've been coaching for eight years now. Uh, it's eight years of failure on a World a Little League World Series. <laughs> is your is your position under threat, Coach Murph? That is my question. Oh
4: man, oh man. As long as I as long as I give the kids trophies at the end of the year, I am hired eternally, all right? <laughs> Don't forget we're in the era we're in the era where every kid gets a trophy for showing up that's another thing that drives the old generation crazy what do you mean they get a trophy they didn't win anything why are you giving them a trophy stop softening these kids up so uh, yeah I think I think I'm just buying my tenure with mm. continued trophies at the end of the year
5: you, uh, you have the Bay Area media uh, press pack in your pocket <laughs> as well I hear so <laughs>
4: <laughs> never get in they say never um, never take on a guy who buys ink by the barrel or never take on a guy who has a has a microphone Four hours a day on uh, San Francisco radio, right? So, Brian, yeah. I'll always have the last word, boys. i always have the last word. You
0: did raise a very interesting point there. I just want to go back to the idea that coaches have to be a little bit more like our friend there from the Cumberland Americans now. They have to be a little nicer towards the kids as opposed to the old Bobby Knight uh, belittling them approach. Uh, oh, I think in our you mentioned whether or not it's like an uh, ask whether it's like that in Ireland. I think in Irish sports. The parents are a big issue in Irish sports, and anyone who uh, coaches underage teams or is involved would say that are involved would say that a lot of times the parents really um cause a lot of trouble you know they, they put a lot of pressure on the kids and there's a lot of shouting and the referees tend to take depending on the sport and tend to take a certain amount of abuse. I'm not tiring every single parent in Ireland with this brush, but it does happen <laughs> is Is that an issue on the sidelines? I mean do you ever have to take stick when you're coaching a team from the parents?
4: Oh, there's no question it's an issue. It's amazing how what a human quality that is. I was wondering how it is over in Ireland, and you're saying you guys have that problem too. So mm-hmm. it just goes to show you that it's, it's a human uh, thing where these parents now are – I don't know, maybe not now, maybe always. Maybe it's just getting more publicity now because there's more media everywhere. But definitely hyper-competitive parents is a huge problem in this country, and it's yeah. something that gets addressed You know, every time there's an incident the sociologists – go on TV and take to the newspaper editorial pages and comment what's going on because we do have incidents guys we have fights between parents you know and yeah sometimes you have arrests made you know a lot uh, enforcement has to get involved because there's an assault here and there now sometimes we tend to over you know over dramatize one or two incidents and and, and larger, draw a larger brush but enough times it becomes an issue that you have to watch out for it. now at every little league field there's a little. There's a sign now that, that that's getting popular that shows up. In, in the sign says, "Number one, these umpires are kids because generally the umpires in little league games are 13, 14, 15 year old kids. Two, the coach is a volunteer." Three, your kid does not play for the, and then has the name of the local major league team. Like the, your kid does not play for the San Francisco Giants, or your kid does not play for the Detroit Tigers, or your kid does not play for the Chicago Cubs. So it says one, the umpires are kids. Two, the coaches are volunteers. Three, your child does not play for the Atlanta Braves. So they're trying to remind parents to to get perspective. Thankfully, my experiences so far have been pretty good. I got a little stick a little stick from a couple here and there. We just try to calm the water. Sometimes they want their kid to play a little bit more. One time they didn't like that I was, you know, maybe used a word that was uh, considered by some to be, uh, you know, maybe a four-letter <laughs> variety. You know what right. I mean? Hey, God, <laughs> Uh, I got rich. so mad one time. One time, uh, uh, a parent got word back to me that they thought I used a bad word. And I said, uh, I'll be happy to refund my paycheck to that parent. Okay, <laughs> I'm out here on my own time. It's taking time away from my kids to coach your kid to be a better player. Back off, sister. So, uh, definitely, we'll see. As it gets more competitive, guys, see, right now, little Declan Murphy's only six and a half. He's in that T-ball era where everybody wins, you know? Mm-hmm. Wait till we get a little check back in about four or five years when the stakes get a little more competitive and... <laughs> I might be one of those guys. I'd, I'd die to be as uh, have a, as much perspective as that Cumberland, Rhode Island guy who's now an international hero for his loving speech to the kids.
0: Yeah. Well, Brian, you've got to drive the boy hard if you want to see him in the Little League <laughs> World Series in a few years. Take, take no prisoners. Listen, great to talk to you, Brian. Enjoy the rest of your holiday.
4: And have a great summer, boys. Take care.
0: All right, so Ken, I will have to grant you that US Murphy seemed to take your line on Little League more than my hardline strict anti oh,
3: will
5: somebody please think
3: of the children but there's no, there's no shame in it you know yeah. kid <laughs> cries because he loses a baseball game that's I don't see the shame oh, the no, I'm not saying it's they I mean, all do a shame. there is a point in
0: football as far as I know in Ireland certainly UK they're trying to extend the age up the age to the point at which players play uh, young people play in matches that scores aren't counted in mm. You know that tr- tr- so there's no competitive f- football at all until whatever age it might be. I think Brian did mention during that piece there that there is that it's, it seems like quite a low age in the US. It just seems uber competitive uh, at, at a very early age if you're yeah.
5: nationally. there seems I, to be a lot of pressure attached. There's not a lot that I can remember about my ten year old self. You know how how I thought about things, how I processed things. One thing that does stand out though, the idea of non competitive games of football. Filled me with boring. utter that is true. Yeah, that is true. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't countenance it. I mean, we like even we, we would have played uh, like under ten challenge games. This was, why isn't there an under ten championship? Would you have why am I playing f- a knockout? Forget your Champions League formats. <laughs> I want a straight, straight knockout. knockout. Winner go, uh, you know, loser goes home. <laughs> under ten, <laughs> cross county championship. How
0: That's would you have performed under the? Spotlight of national television coverage of and thirty thousand crowd watching you play in under twelve.
5: I uh, was, I reached my peak at the age of twelve as a Gaelic footballer, so um, I would say that I'd be pretty confident about that. I would, I would relish. <laughs> right now,
0: not so much. But back every, then.
5: Per- I would say that my co- my confidence drained away from me from the age of twelve to its present. <laughs> subterranean position. You do need to
0: take scores sport that don't you? Probably do. I mean, if you're playing yeah. curbs, you're you just throwing the ball to curb, catching. It, going that was great. It's, it's it doesn't it's an act devoid of, of meaning unless you're counting at least one point or two points if you catch it as it backup back there. Yeah, well, otherwise you get, it's it's get just a penalty, of course, from halfway across the road.
3: It's just pointless calisthenics, you know. Yeah. Why you know you need to have uh, points to put some kind of structure on what you're doing. Otherwise, just go and you know, I don't know, splash around in the beach or something.
0: Oshin was shooting you sympathetic glances earlier, Murph, as I imposed the ban on predictions. So I hereby <laughs> temporarily revoke the ban hmm. to ask you who's going to win on Sunday during the show. Mayo to win.
5: Mayo to win, on already.
0: Mayo wins. Even though you have your doubts about the Mayo wins, I have.
5: I have my doubts, but I I, 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 trust that Mayo will win, and I indeed I hope that Mayo will win.
0: Thanks,
3: Kieran. Thank
5: you, on.
0: Thank you, Ken.
3: Thanks, thank Cain. you, Kieran. Thank you. Thanks for
0: listening. Have a listen to Second Captains, uh, the Irish Times Second Captains football podcast, and do check us out on Twitter at Second Captains. We'll chat to you soon. <laughs> How long is that? That's the second time he's
3: gone off. Never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.